Psychology in Seattle. Hey, deserving listeners. Before we get into this episode, I just want to say that in this episode, we talk about the Jesse Smollett situation. And we were talking about it before other news reports came out that made it more confusing as to whether or not Jesse Smollett actually did the things that he was allegated, allegated to have done, alleged to have done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in line with my lack of vocabulary knowledge, we just don't really know if Jesse Smollett did it, but we talk about in this episode as if he did. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Whenever we talk about these kinds of events, know that we are using it as a jumping off point to talk about psychological related things. We're not a journalist podcast. We're not a law podcast. We're not an investigative journalist podcast. We're a podcast about psychology, and so we want to talk about that. And perhaps sometimes we go a little too far with our language regarding whether or not someone did it. You know, did Michael Jackson really do it? Did O.J. Simpson really do it? These these kinds of things are discussions that are better placed in other sorts of podcasts. Um, and maybe in the future we'll try to be more careful with our language, but just know that uh, when we talk about it in this episode, we were basing our discussion on on the prevailing wisdom at the time that Jesse Smollett had actually done what he was alleged to have done. All right, so let's get into the episode. <music> So, Berto, I just got done doing a 17-hour deep dive on attachment, as I've talked about in other episodes. Right. And one of the things that, that makes me want to do is just to kick back, <laughs> have a conversation with you, answer some short questions from the listeners. What do you say? I have a question. After those 17 hours, did you find it hard to detach? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's just that kind of joking that I hope will entertain the listeners as they listen to this rambly episode. This is the Psychology of Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I'm a Tauntaun Whisperer. So if you're one of those listeners who doesn't appreciate it when we just kind of ramble, uh, this I wouldn't listen to this episode. So uh, I, would, I would pull the ripcord now. Get ready to ramble! <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about is our recent Michael Jackson deep dive. Mm -hmm. Or not a deep dive. It was a Michael Jackson episode that about episode, yeah. leaving Neverland. You had watched the documentary and had texted me and said, oh my God, I just had like a massive emotional reaction. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't, even, I didn't even know about the documentary. I started watching it, was totally gripped, watched the whole, almost the whole thing in one night. And then we're like, okay, we'll talk about it. And I'm just thinking, eh, it's just another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Right. No, no biggie. And like we've talked about MJ before. We've talked about, we did a Psychology of Michael Jackson episode, right. I don't know, a year or two ago or something. And the thing to me was, I was just thinking, yeah, you know, uh, it's just an episode. Man, do people. <laughs> Do people have um, different points of view about Mike, Michael Jackson? Strong emotions. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think and, – and actually, as, so I posted – particularly on YouTube because yeah. that's where all the horrible people are. <laughs> and so – Horrible people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 99.9% .9 of all the horrible things I've read directed at you and me has been on YouTube. <laughs> 
And I'm I'm not opposed to debate. I'm not opposed to right. criticism. I, I I thrive on criticism. It's fine. But the the anger and the hostility and the really the immaturity of some of these comments, you know, right? You fucking idiots! It's like so in the episode. <laughs> so in the original, so what I but what I remembered what it, but I forgot was the original psychology of Michael Jackson episode, which we published a year or two uh-huh. ago. I had forgotten that I had to turn off the comments on that episode. I did. I did remember you had told me that at some point. I forgot totally okay. about that. So when I posted this one, I was just like, eh. do, 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 do. yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, the, I because so. Uh, all these people are, are, and so what we, so in the psychology of Michael Jackson that we did a year or two ago, you were basically saying, oh, definitely he did it as we started as, but as I was going through the deep dive, you started to be like, well, maybe he didn't, I think he still did. But yeah. And and Mike, cause I, I had never really thought about it. I didn't really have an opinion. I just, it was just a big question mark to me, but after doing a mini deep dive on all the uh, allegations and the, and the defense from the lawyers and Michael Jackson himself, I was a I I landed on a sixty forty. Yeah. I was like, if I was a betting person, I would say sixty percent chance he actually abused mm-hmm. at least one of those kids, <clears throat> right? Sexually, but given all the ambiguity, it's like uh, you know, it's it's close to fifty fifty because there, there's so much defense. After watching Leaving Neverland, I was so convinced by these two fellas' accounts and right. and the the footage and the family and you know just the, every, the whole storyline. As someone who talks with people who have been sexually abused, there are certain markers that it's possible that these two guys lied. It's possible right. that they did a ton of research, and I even said that in the Leaving Neverland episode. I right, even right. said something like, "Well." I'm I'm 99% sure that that Michael Jackson abused these at least some of these kids. Yeah. Uh, but y- you just never know cuz I wasn't there and sure. and there's no video footage and so it, there's always a chance that pe- it's a, there's a chance that like these dozen people are lying about this, yeah. you know, it's possible. And I don't the thing is is I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't impact me. Yeah. Uh so if you're out there listening, particularly on YouTube, but even some people on Facebook were attacking us, um, and you believe that Michael Jackson is innocent, that's fine. Were most of the attacks about innocence, or was yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, they were saying, like, you guys are fucking idiots because you're so gullible. I see. And if you did more of your research, you would know, blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay. One, I guess I'm not a Michael Jackson sexual abuse scholar, <laughs> so I haven't done all my quote-unquote research. Right. Granted, this isn't a podcast about Michael Jackson, okay? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a psychology podcast, and I have to do three of these a week, and so I only have so much time. Uh, one. Two, even if I was wrong in my conclusion— it's not like I'm unusual. There's right. plenty of people who are like me looking right. at the same data who are like, yeah, I think he did it. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of people apparently looking at the same data and saying <laughs> you and saying they, they don't think he did it. You fucking idiots. How could you believe that this guy who sleeps with minors for months at a time and has been and settled for like it was like it was millions, right? 
millions of dollars. How could you believe that they're ah, come on? Right. Well, the people on the other side will have similar statements sure. with similar data to back up. You know, they'll say that uh, Jimmy and Wade lied a lot. They're sort of known liars. Okay, fine. Um, the thing is, is I don't really care. What what I care about is. What are we going to do moving forward? Yep. You know, it doesn't really these Michael Jackson is dead. He can't hurt anyone if he hurt anyone to begin with. What we need to be doing is thinking about how we can help people in the future. And one of the things that we need to do is actually make it so that when victims come forward, even if they're lying, we actually don't attack them in the way that we typically do in our society and the way that these two guys are being attacked. Yeah. It'd be one thing to say like I don't believe you. I think, given what my my take on it, I think you're out for the money, and I don't believe you. But say la vie. Right. That's one thing. The kind of aggression. I will kill you. Yeah, there's literal yeah. Pe- people with their faces showing on YouTube threatening these right. people. So if anyone wants any uh, data or evidence as to why Jimmy and Wade didn't come out earlier. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the reaction when they did come out to know why they didn't come out earlier. Yeah. You, it's a circular causality there. Yeah. <laughs> and so now again, I don't know. I wasn't there, but my humble lay person, I'm not a, I'm not on the jury. Right. I'm not God. I'm not, you know, I'm not a judge. I'm just a lay person looking at the data, and I it, it seems convincing to me, but it doesn't matter what I think people out there on YouTube. It's just me talking about my take, on, and really the purpose of that episode was Umberto was talking about his experience being sexually abused himself. I, and, that probably didn't happen, though. What? I, I'm sure I made it up. Yeah. Clean your room. <laughs> yeah. All right, next is Why Do People Lie? Patron Pam wants us to answer this. So she says, I have a topic request, liars. Like Justin Smollett. Is, it, mm. is that how you pronounce it, Smollett? Just, is it Justin or Jesse? Jesse. Or Jesse, Jesse. Jesse Smollett. Uh, she said Justin, but yeah, okay, it's okay. Jesse. I think it's short for Justin. I'm not sure, but anyway, or a variation. Um, and how he lied about being a victim of a hate crime. Can you talk about what drives people to lie publicly? Berto, what do you think? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a one faceted answer because there are certainly times where people lie out of desperation or they lie because they think they're doing good by lying. Uh, they, there are compulsive liars. I think in this specific instance, uh, you know, I don't watch the show. I didn't know who the guy was, but I certainly heard about all the controversy and it seems like he made up a story for any number of complicated psychological reasons in his head where he thought that was going to be somehow a positive contribution to both the publicity he would get as well as moving the conversation forward or something. But, but I mean, that's not a simple, well, he lied because of this one reason, right? That seems like a really complex brew in his head. And I don't know enough about him to know, has he always been a liar? Does he lie every day compulsively? And- right. So I thought in this section, we would go into detail about all the reasons why people lie and, sure. you know, just see if they apply to this. Right. So just to review what Smollett did, this is all allegedly because it's still being sussed out. But allegedly, he hired, he's an actor on The Empire and other kinds of things. And he's a gay black man. He's gay, right? 
That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. And he hired two men to stage a hate crime against him. He hired two Nigerian men that he knew from acting gigs. He paid them $3,500 total, I think. And they attacked him. And so uh, then Smollett went to the police and said he was attacked outside his apartment building by two men in ski masks, ski masks and MAGA hats. And he they were re- wearing MAGA hats over the ski masks. Apparently. Okay. And he reported to the police that they used racial slurs like the N word, I'm guessing. And said, this is MAGA country. This is why we're attacking you. This is MAGA country. Make America great again. They poured bleach on him, and they put a noose around his neck, and Smollett said that he fought them off. And after investigating it, the police concluded and thought, suspected, that Smollett had actually lied about the whole thing and that he had hired these two men to attack him so that he could claim that he was a victim of a hate crime. He's been charged with a felony for filing a false police report, and he could spend up to three years in prison. So that is that story. I'm I'm so confused why he even had to hire anyone. Like, why did he need to hire someone? Well, so there's a lot of details to this that I wish I knew. One is, is it appears that he didn't even need to do anything. He could have just like poured bleach on himself yeah. and like punched himself in the face and just cause, cause honestly, if he would have done that, he probably would have got away with it. Cause no one else would have been right. Because yeah. what the, what I, from my, what I understand is the police actually tracked these two guys down. Right. And they were like about to get in trouble yeah. for a hate crime. They're like, well, actually, so I don't, we don't want to get in trouble. He hired us to do yeah, this. Yeah. Right. So if, if he hadn't hired anyone and he had just you know punched himself in the face and got to the police, then it would have been a greater chance of it working. The other thing is is that he hired two black men to attack him and say racial slurs, right? Uh, which which is odd, right? right. Um, so anyway, um, now there are a lot of different kinds of lies which we have to sort of establish up front. So you have white lies, you have political, you know, every politician has quote unquote lied. Um, or most politicians have lied about something or, you know, in terms of interpretation. Yeah. That was a lie that that politician said, you know, uh, no new taxes or whatever. Uh, You can lie on your job application. Yeah. You you could leave out a job that you don't want to put on your application because you don't want to lessen the chance of you getting the the job. Uh, That's lying. You're lying by omission. You could lie about infidelity. You could lie in your taxes. A lot of people lie in their taxes. You could lie about how many sexual partners you've had. You're, right. you're on a first date and they, or I don't know what sort of number of date. And the person's like, well, you know, how many people you had sex with? And you're like, oh, you know, and whatever, you know. <laughs> whatever direction you wanted it to go in, you know, pe- people might lie about that. So there, this is a long topic in terms of like the meaning of lies and what sort of lies are actually moral but through the next part of this discussion, we're going to talk about the Smollett kind of lies, okay. where it's obviously dece- deceiving. You're obviously n- not trying to save someone else's feelings. Right. You're, you're just flat out lying. Because there's the – I don't think these are the same, but they're, they start to be related with some of the uh, – like the lies from the fire festival, for example. You know, But they're, they're, they're different because in one case, that's like a long – prolonged series of lies with sort of a 
not bad purpose. It, you know, like the, the ultimate purpose of the fire festival wasn't necessarily bad, right? Like, let's throw this amazing thing. But in the process, it was lies, lies, lies. Whereas in this case, it was a more contained set of lies. Yeah, very clearly yeah. a deception. Yeah. So now I want to say from the beginning here is that it's extremely hard for most people to lie in general. It might be easy for us to lie on an application for a job or something like that, or to lie about how many sexual partners you've had. You know, there are certain lies that I think are generally ex- like one lie that pretty much I'm sure most people have done is they've lied to their parents when they were a teenager. You know, what were you doing last night? Right. Oh, we were just watching a movie, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like, People lie. There's certain lies where you just and parents even know. Well, I'm sure my kid's lying to me. They were probably smoking pot, you know, and, and hmm. having sex or whatever. But they're not going to tell me that. Right. Uh, it's there's certain lies where we would accept that. But having said that, most of the time, most of us have a really hard time lying. They actually demonstrate this in lab experiments. It it is an empathy response. It's something ingrained in us or we're, or it's learned. The superego kicks in and actually the whole premise of the quote-unquote lie detector test, which actually isn't very, very reliable, is based on this idea that when you're lying, you have a physiological reaction that's actually kind of repulsive to you. And so your heart rate goes up in that kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, um, so why do people lie? Well, I have... Uh, eight different reasons, nine different reasons here uh, that someone would do a, a sort of Smollett type of lie, allegedly. Uh, what sort of reasons? Let's see if you can guess some of my okay, reasons. Okay, these are reasons why they might do a Smollett kind of lie. Right. Is this a new thing? The, are you Smolletting me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, one of them is out of uh, sort of like desperation. Like, they feel their in in this case, like they feel their careers going nowhere. They feel like nothing they do seems to make a difference, and they just like, I just need any kind of publicity. Exactly. So that was my number eight, and I just labeled it desperation for some other reason. Meaning, like, like, like uh, maybe Smollett had a gambling problem and needed to, you know, get some money or something. Because he did this. The speculation is that he did it because. His boss or whoever was in charge of him at the network for Empire, he wasn't being paid enough or something. And so he might have been trying to raise his profile so he could Mm. get a better contract moving forward. I see. It's unknown, but that seems to be... If he became the symbol of the oppressed black gay person in America. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just more famous. It's like Kim Kardashian and the sex tape. Right. Like... That's the way fame and, and money works in these days. Uh, what's another reason why? Smollett? Well, by the way, desperation sounds like a cologne. You know, like, do you want a Smollett a little worse? Get desperation. <laughs> um, okay, uh, what's another reason? Oh, okay. Uh, another reason might be because there's some financial incentive. Like you're trying to actually uh, get some money out of the, out of the deal. Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, everyone is capable of that, right? That doesn't really everyone quote unquote wants more money, right? So that's not really there has to be some additional factor okay. in there. Okay, then another reason might be uh you are trying to prove a point that is good and so you you think the ends justifies the means. Like in this case, it, it, they could this 
uh, Smollett might have been like, well, I know that discrimination does exist and this kind of violence does exist. So I guess if I if I fake it, uh, sure, I'm not doing a good thing, but I could become a symbol for this and do good overall. So the ends justifies the means. Interesting. So it's sort of like a, uh, how do you call it, a crusader. Right. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, again, I would still think that there would need to be more of a core issue that would push that very normal, even noble motivation to a place of complete deception. Because, you know, you and I have those kinds of views where we're like, we need to push our society forward. Yeah. We need to end racism and end sexism. And, you know, we need to do this thing now. And we can be quite upset about it. But as far as I know, you're the same as me. It's never occurred to you to deceive society right. somehow to, to trick them to believe this. It doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't pop into our mind. Okay. All right. Maybe another angle could be a little bit of masochism. Like you basically, you sort of maybe are even subconsciously aware of like, this is not going to end well, but uh, you, you want to go through these steps because you actually enjoy the chaos and the drama. You know? Interesting, yeah. So an element of self-destruction. Self-destruction. So, yeah. so I'll actually add that to the list. I like that. Yeah, so uh, self-destruction. In that it's a subconscious effort to destroy your life, which a lot of people have. Yeah. And uh, this would be a surefire way to do it, you know, especially the way that he did it. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Well, so that now gives us 10. So I'll give the other eight that you, that okay. you didn't say. So some people were raised in a way that rewarded lies. Mm. So they were, for example, very harshly punished. And then that child learns as a young child that it's better to lie and roll the dice than to actually tell the truth. Because when you tell the truth, you're much more likely to get beaten, for example. Oh, I see. So you become, it becomes a habit that you develop and also a normal thing that you end up doing. So... Because I I see that a lot in clients, uh, particularly kids and teenagers, is that when they're raised in a way that lying was actually a survival mechanism, even later in life when it doesn't make any sense to lie, they'll still lie. Uh, number two is some people were raised by people who lied to them, so their moral compass is off through through modeling. They I learned see. that well, that's what you do. Everyone lies, right. and you know that that's the only. It's normal. Yeah. Uh, number three, some people were raised in a way that made them distrust others to the point where they felt like they had to lie in order to get their needs met. Oh. So this is actually possible that Smollett yeah. is, is this because he want, he has a need. He wants to get paid more. Right. And he's trying to achieve that. This is all speculation. And he doesn't say. trust the, sy the system per se. Right. He doesn't yeah. trust the system. He doesn't trust that he can actually just ask for it. And so in other... It, or that there's another route, you know, like if he wanted to get fame and a higher profile, for example, he could have done a march or organized yeah. a march or, you know, I don't know. There's things that normal people do when they're yeah. trying to like raise the profile for racism and, and that kind of thing. Um, but he didn't do that. What he did was he, you know, devised this whole deceptive scheme, uh, possibly because he was raised in a way where he just doesn't trust other people to actually respond to normal bids for your needs being met. Right. Number four is addiction can create the conditions where people feel that they have to lie. 
apparently, according to Wikipedia anyway, which could be wrong, Smollett said that he had an ecstasy addic- addiction. Oh. Uh, and I would suspect that that wouldn't be his only addiction because it's kind of kind of rare, not extremely rare, to have only an ecstasy addic- addiction. I didn't even know ecstasy could be addicting. Yeah, absolutely. It It is not as addictive as, say, nicotine or mm-hmm. heroin, but it is habit-forming, habit-forming. for sure. Okay. Um, so the idea goes is that when you are suffering from addiction, addiction, you need a substance, and sometimes you need to lie to get it or to use it. Like when you're yeah. in treatment or when you're with your spouse, you have to say, no, I, I'm not using or I'm not going to use tonight or I didn't use that. You know. So you lie and then you lie again and then you, you still need your substance and there's more barriers and you just keep lying and lying and right. lying and it becomes habitual. And in the extreme, for some people, years down the line, they'll end up lying about really weird things. <laughs> like you'll just be looking at them and you'll be like, so where were you the other night? Like right. you didn't show up and they'll be like, what do you mean? I was there. And you'd be like, no, you no, you weren't. And they'd be like, yeah, I, I was there. I looked for you. You weren't there. You're the one who wasn't there. Yeah. And you're like, and it's crazy making. Right. Cause you're just, it's like, moon, what is gaslighting? Yeah. Moonlighting. <laughs> it's moonlighting. Uh, some of these lies are to mask their use. Some lies are to keep people at a distance so they can continue to work, uh, use some and some of these lies are just from psychological denial. Right. You know, like they'll they'll want to be there for your birthday, but they don't actually they actually know they're not going to be there because they know that consistently they have a hard time right. following through on stuff like that because they're so ashamed of their use that they need But they'll to say up to the minute like, "Yeah, I'm going to be there." Yeah. I'm almost there. Almost there. Yeah, it's it, it's very weird and if anyone's been with an addict before they have seen this before. Now, again, it's not because they're assholes. It's because they're suffering from something. Usually they're using to mask some massive trauma that they're going through. So it's like compounded and they're just in a cycle that's a lot of self-suffering. Right. Uh, number five is they could be loaded at the time. Right. Uh, I don't, <laughs> that, that makes sense. I don't think Spolet is in that situation because he would have, he had to like plan this all out. You sure. Know? Uh, number six is they're psychopathic and they don't have empathy for other people right. and they actually kind of like to manipulate others. Number seven is they're desperate for attention. This is also possibly Smollett as well in that when – this is similar to not being able to trust other people. It's overlapping with that in that you grew up learning that in order to get any kind of love and, and security, you had to be very noticeable and you had to be very histrionic, very attention-seeking. And so you might lie in an effort to get that attention. Um, like, I'm pregnant when you're really mm-hmm. not pregnant. Number And the, the last one that you didn't mention, Berto, is passive aggression. So it, it's a thing. We use this term in a very colloquial way. But uh, in the clinical sense, it's when you're raised in a way that you learn early in life that you can't express any anger ever. There's, there's, there's no anger for you. Mm. And you still have anger. What do you do with it? Well, you express it passively. That's why we call it passive aggression. And one of the things that you could do, I guess, if you're Smollett, it's like you're angry at your boss for not giving you a raise or whatever. And through, uh, but you can't say, I'm upset. Like everyone else is getting paid this much. This is bullshit. You, not only can you not consciously, but you can't actually even subconsciously acknowledge that that's what's happening. So it sneaks out in this other way of just like, 
um, that feels normal to them. So yeah. passive aggression is actually a really common thing that people don't talk enough about. And it explains a lot when I think about that personality type. Um, so those are the different reasons, patron, Pam, as to why someone would lie that I could think of off the top of my head. I know of five more. Yeah? You're lying. So let's take a break, no lie, and when we get back, let's talk about the scandals in which doctors will impregnate their patients with their own sperm. What do you oh say? Oh, my God. What do you say, bro? Let's do it. All right, Berto, we're back from the break. If a doctor who impregnated a patient with his own sperm were to try to get people to be a patron of this podcast, what would he say? You would say, all right, so here's the deal. I know you've been trying to do something with your life, like have a small child. I have a once-in-a-lifetime offering. We have the technology where we can put a little child to work in a mine to donate to the podcast for you. And it will look just like me at you, and, uh, but you will pay me a lot of money for it. <laughs> so do that. Become a patron of the podcast. You get access to hundreds of premium episodes, some of our best episodes. Also, if you're going to contact us, contact us at our uh, form on our website, psychologyinseattle.com, or just email us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Because if you contact me through any other method, it's actually really annoying to me because there's probably 25 different methods of contacting me that I don't right. mo- that I don't monitor. This includes Patreon, by the way. Patreon is a new interface, and they're trying to like reinvent the wheel in a lot of annoying ways. And their message uh, app, their message feature is mm-hmm. actually really clunky. So if you want to email me, email me. Just directly email me at contact.psychologyandstyle.com. That's extremely convenient for me, by the way. It always works, and it's very easy for me to reply. Email is a well-tested technology. (laughs) Yeah. So if you can, don't use Patreon. Also, like, don't use Facebook to message me uh, because, again, I don't even look at those. Uh, And also, it's harder for me to reply. Anyway, so... Um, also, we have a lot of new patrons having done our deep dive on attachment. A lot of people became patrons. Welcome to the club. And also, if you're having trouble with accessing the premium feed, also contact us because about, according to the survey, like 10 or 15% of people really struggle with access, whereas the rest of them find it pretty easy. And so don't be afraid to contact because about every day I help somebody contact, uh, access the premium feed. Also know that there are three different ways to access the premium feed. You can do it on your phone through your phone app by accessing the secret mm-hmm. uh, password-protected URL. You can also uh, access through Patreon if you're, if, you're a, if you're a patron of our – you get instant access through Patreon. But really, the best way is to go to the website because the website has all the episodes. They're all categorized, and there's even a page just for the premium episodes, two right. pages just for the premium episodes. People are often asking, like, like for example, we did an episode, or I did an episode, on passive-aggressive personality disorder. And you know that was a long time ago, so it's hard to find if you're on Patreon or if you're on your phone. And so if you go to the website, you can find that pretty quick. And if you, you can go to the website on your phone and listen to episodes through the website on your phone. You know what I mean? Right. So it's I like noticed, having your own like app essentially. Right. I noticed you didn't uh, include me in the passive aggressive one, which is fine. 
<laughs> okay, so IVF scandals. Uh, patron Jules wrote in, For years I have read news stories about scandals at IVF clinics in which a doctor at a clinic is revealed as the father of the patient's children. <laughs> it has happened multiple times in different places around the world. Oh I'm struggling gosh. to understand what would drive someone to do that. Uh, so I looked up some famous examples last year, 2018 in a physician, in Ottawa was found to be the biological father of at least 11 children whose parents went to him for fertility treatment. And there's a currently a class action lawsuit against him. There's a famous story, 1996, a physician in Virginia, a man, a physician had impregnate, impregnated as many as 75 mothers with his, <laughs> with his sperm. So he has all those children. It's crazy. So why do people do this, Berto? Well, first of all, let me start by saying that when you, you mentioned we were going to talk about this, and I did a search about it, I, I didn't know that Michelle Obama had had in, in vitro fertilization. Uh, and I definitely did not realize that this ridiculous subculture of trolls used that as one of the key uh, linchpins in their theory of Mich why Michelle Obama is a, a transgender individual. <laughs> and I was like, what the? So, but this pointed to something which is in vitro fertilization is like a taboo subject. Uh, or people have a lot of hangups, misunderstandings, and, you know, really weird feelings about this thing. That it works on men, for example? For example, or that it's, it's, it's a weird thing, or it's embarrassing, it should be secret, all these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not surprised that it's not well talked about it's, uh, and that it might even be – it might be a sort of a fringe and it attracts fringe players on the, on the doctor side. Well, yeah, so I'm old enough to remember, and maybe you remember this too, Berto, when IVF was being popularized in the 80s, I believe, they called them test tube babies. Yep. And it was this – very shocking thing because it right. was unnatural. It was like you're creating these human beings in a test tube. And it was kind of an insult, like, oh, you're a test tube baby. You right, know? yeah. And it, it just felt very, I don't know, unnatural. Right. And as if we're, you know, creating all these monsters or something. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact is, is that uh, you will uh, fertilize the egg yeah. in outside of the body but as soon as it's ready to go you put it back in the womb and everything you know yeah. w but when you put it in the womb the collection of cells is is just that it's it's, it's a very undifferentiated <laughs> you don't put the nine month baby in <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well i mean one of the one of the thoughts i had about this is that some of these people may have some mental issue like narcissism or some other kind of thing where they think or a, a maniacal like ideas of egomaniacal ideas of uh, I, I need to spread my seed. <laughs> like I, you know, like, of course it's a natural human and animal instinct to reproduce and have offspring, but to do it in such a nefarious way and to such an extent, like that's, that's not quite on the normal side of the curve. <laughs> yeah. That's what I came up with too, was narcissism with the, really stupid speculation of evolutionary psychology you're not stupid um the the very small possibility because uh, you know you could say it's you know we're all the the thing is though is that we're 
uh, we're not programmed necessarily to spread our seed. We're, we're programmed to do things that end up spreading our seed. Well, exactly. And okay. So, so let's take one hypothesis. Oh, you know, most guys given the chance would do this because they want to spread their seed. Okay. Why don't we all donate sperm constantly? Yeah. Right. So that's not, doesn't seem to, no. well, there could be stigma around that, but there could be, but the, but then fine. If, if, if you really peel it back, it's like, no, the thing you're asking isn't, would a human male feel the need to spread their seed? You're asking, would an average modern day human male feel the need to lie to hundreds of victims and ruin like a lifetime of an experience for them? Potentially when they find out what's really, and, and also like, think about that baby now, like the dynamics, like that's a monstrous thing to do. Right. So that's the thing to focus on is not that it's normal to want to quote unquote spread your seed. Yeah. It's, you know, not that it's normal to want to have offspring. It's what would drive someone to ruin other people's lives and ruin your own life too. Yeah. I mean, the the cases that we have available to us are the ones that get caught, and yeah. they must have known that. Especially later, you know, this this twenty eighteen person, it's like a simple DNA test would would demonstrate that they're right. guilty. Oh, and, and by the way, clearly there was. It seems clear to me that there was no motivation of actually wanting to have the children. Right. <laughs> right. So there must be. And again, I've never studied a case like this, even on, in a report, but just total speculation is like, well, it seems narcissistic to me. It's like, I want to have myself out there as much as I, as I can, and so I'm going to do this because it feels good to know. It's just such a weird thing to think so about because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But... I There's guess. bits of me more there, more bits of me out there. Right. Yeah. And that does. Wait. The other thing is, could there be a sexual dimension to this? Right. You're really nailing it, Berto, because that's that's the other thing I thought of. I wasn't the only one nailing it. Was Ooh. that it could be a sick sexual pleasure, like this uh, vicarious having sex with these people. Right. You know, it would be interesting to see if the women that he impregnated were more attractive than the other women or something. Oh, oh. You know what I mean? Like that's he's like, so, I mean, so in his head, he, it's like he could think, oh, I kind of had sex with that's that That's on the level worse, of course, but like the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm the cop investigating the scene and I'm going to sniff these panties. You know, it's like, dude, you like, think about it. My cell is going to connect with this cell. It's like me having sex with them. <laughs> well, and I don't... Well, anyway, yeah. I won't get into the gory details, but imagine yourself, you learn yeah. when you're 25, 35 years old that your father, your biological father, was the physician that treated your mom and that your biological... that What you thought was your biological father is right. not... Uh, how would you feel? I mean, dude, what a... What a mind fuck, right? Like... Like, I mean, obviously you will love you, you, presumably, let's assume you have a good relationship with both of your parents, right? So that is your father, but you might've had questions. Maybe you don't quite look like him. So you might've always had like these weird kind of questions, but now your your whole, everything you've been told and know is like upside down. You have feelings of hatred probably towards that doctor, but also like, wait, but that's my dad. And like, I don't know. Yeah. There are similar scenarios like this where 
a child will be born to a young mother and raised by the grandparents as if they were the parents. Mm. My great grandmother actually went through this and suffered from a lot of psychiatric issues, I think, as a result. Oh, man. Um, to the point, actually, just on this line, where she was so depressed that she would she was institutionalized in the early 1900s and for you know a number of years. And my grandfather, my mom's dad, was actually sent to an orphanage when he was like one to three or something. Oh. So that that's going to cause an attachment problem right oh, there, wow. you know, that was passed down eventually to me. Right. Um, so. Uh, yeah, uh, you could, so there's a lot of scenarios where people will at a later date realize that their whole biological lineage is a lie and it's very disruptive. Yeah. It could be very upsetting depending on, I guess, how you take it. Cause on one hand it's like, well, logically speaking, it doesn't really matter because right. I was still raised by my dad and I still love my dad and this asshole. But the other hand, it's like, well, does that mean I'm, I need to get to know this physician. Uh, does this mean I, I need some sort of at least like medical history from him? Right. So I know, or does this mean that my personality is like him at all? Right. Does this mean that my mom was raped and I'm, I'm the, I'm the product of a rape? Cause, it, cause you can kind of see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a violation for sure. Yeah. Well, let's get off this topic and go to other short questions. Patron step, Stepan or step, it's a Steppen, but Steppenwolf. Yeah, but it maybe it's Stefan. I don't know. Uh, patron Stepan wrote, maybe you can share some time, share some time with your listeners about your favorite podcast that you listen to. Berto, mm. what, what are your favorite podcasts? Well, it's funny because I I don't know if you're going to count this. I listen to YouTube channels. Yeah, I I thought maybe you would go there because it's probably more relevant, to right? You. Right. Okay. So I have. They're kind of like podcasts. They're kind of like They're they're periodic. They're they're serialized. And some of them are definitely more like that. So uh, a few off the top of my head that I definitely listen to on a regular basis. One of them is uh, Philip DeFranco. SXE Phil used to be his channel name. Philip DeFranco is this dude who has been doing it since the beginning of YouTube. And he does a daily episode during the week. They're all about the current events, but it's. His whole thing is to try to keep it really. Like on the level, just the facts, and then he gives explicitly gives what his opinion is, but mostly lets people comment and give their opinions. And so I think a lot of people like me appreciate it because he gives news without too much bullshit, and and he tries to. And, and when he gets a story wrong, he comes back and corrects it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's I've really seen good. him yeah. uh, on on YouTube before. Really appreciate him. In fact. I th- was he just on Hot Ones? Yes, yes. Yeah. And that was a good one because he's actually, he loves hot food, so he was pretty good. Uh, the other one is, as you know, uh, The Young Turks. Yeah. Uh, this one, I, I will say, I've ebbed and flowed with it. I've been listening to them for, tw- I don't know, 12 years or so. It's like, it's a long time. I've, I've And I'm a, I, I'm a patron or whatever. I, I contribute money. Um but I, I'll say that mostly I've had really good content from them over the years, so I appreciate it. I, I yeah, also, just to chime in about them, I I have they were around very early. They're one of the very first uh, uh, YouTube channels to come out that was really trying to do that kind of a thing. And my perception was was because you have uh, Sank or Shank Uger, yeah, and the woman Anna Kasparian. The two of them 
in the beginning, and I think they still retain this, are extremely rough around the edges. These are yeah. not like professional broadcasters. Right. They, they, <laughs> they just like, and especially in the beginning, it was like they had a green screen or whatever, yeah. and they just started talking about, especially her. And in fact, I think I remember when she was added, because originally it was just the guy. Yeah, and with a couple of his other friends. Yeah. And then she joined. And she was really young when she started. Yeah, and really, really rough. <laughs> right. Like the the things that, she would say and the way she would say it was and at, just right and at first mostly they used her for like current events stuff like that you know and over time she started doing a little more serious uh pieces i mean in a way you could say we grew together because they absolutely they probably started around the same time the difference was was that they were very popular very early on right so i can't imagine you and me being extremely popular in the first year that we did this thing because we were right. we were making some extremely bad episodes. Well, so Jen Guger had had a he had been in media like for a long time already, and didn't, many didn't of really, his friends didn't really show. Well, well, fair enough, but many of his friends, like uh, one of his uh, friends, Ben Mankowitz, who was a regular on the show early on, his father was a famous Hollywood guy and stuff like that, and Ben had. This uh, Ben do, did movie reviews, and so he was actually well known in media already. So these people weren't starting from zero. Oh, and Jen Guger used to do radio and with another friend of his and things like this. Yeah. So they didn't start from zero in that sense. That said, to your point, it is part of the show that it is rough around the edges. And one of the things I like about Jen Guger, and I kind of identify with him because his style is similar to mine. He gets loud and, and like, you know, emotional and all these kinds of things. And that kind of resonates. Another one that is an actual podcast is the Sam Harris one. Mm. Uh, I, I enjoy that one. Um, Joe Rogan, I listen to the YouTube clips of his podcast. Is Sam Harris like a right, right-wing person? No. Oh. People, people have associated him with that because he has spoken out against extremist islam oh and because of his views on that they feel but he's he's just anti-religion oh um he's an an atheist you know oh, he was one of yeah. the four horsemen blah 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 yeah blah. i talked with uh yuval leor about yeah. that he was talking about the new atheism as well yes. yeah okay uh the other ones i like nutritionfacts.org it's this guy who's got the very funny voice and he does all this research on nutrition and he just presents studies. And, and, and this is why I love it. He's not like, well, I think that berries should, you know, they're pretty good. You should eat them. He'll be like, okay, and here's a la the latest Harvard study. Here's a, uh, a 10 year study with blah, blah, blah. And here's the results. And he, oh, and there's a new study that contradicts a video I did a year ago. So it's awesome. It's all about like, like actual studies. I'm having deja vu. Did we talk about this on the podcast before? I've mentioned nutrition facts before. Oh, maybe like in yeah. the vegan episode or something. Yeah, yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Lastly, uh, well, I mean, this is kind of an honorary. I don't watch it anymore, but the Crash Course series. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing. Especially the history one. Oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, amazing. those guys, the Green the, Brothers. The Green Brothers. Just... They, they do so many great things yeah. uh, in not just the Crash Course, but... Lots of different types of videos. I also wrote this one down. It doesn't quite count, but it should kind of count because I watched the YouTube videos of Rachel Maddow <laughs> and she's kind of like a podcast for me. So Cause she you, goes in depth when she goes on, the, on her topics. You know? Well, have you listened to her podcast, Bagman? No, I know what it is. I know like, she talks about it on her show, Yeah, but I haven't listened to it. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's not. It doesn't take very long to listen. I think it's yeah. like maybe 10 episodes or something. 
Okay, my top five is sort of complicated because I have been listening to podcasts hardcore for the past 10 plus years. I don't think you, you'll ever meet someone who listens to as many <laughs> podcasts as I do. I figured out once that because uh, my podcast app kept track of how many hours I listened to podcasts, I figured out that I listened to, I listened to podcasts a third of my life, meaning oh wow, <laughs> half half of my of my waking life, uh-huh. I spend it listening to podcasts. Wow! And when people think when people hear that, including myself, it's like, how is that possible? Is that possible? <laughs> and the way it's possible is that think about whenever I'm driving, I'm listening to a podcast. Right. So that's got to be an hour or two a day. Right. Whenever I'm doing a chore. I'm listening to a podcast. Even okay. if I'm like just doing a five minute chore, yep. then I pop on my headphones and I listen to five minutes of yeah. that episode that I was listening to. Uh, if I'm falling asleep, sometimes I listen to a podcast. If I'm doing something really menial for the podcast itself, like I'm if I'm editing podcasts, listening <laughs> I'm listening to podcasts. Um, if I'm exercising, so right. I'm listening to a podcast. If I'm on the airplane, if I'm in the airport, right. if I'm walking from my car to work, right. if I'm in the elevator at work, like I am one of those people that walks around with those headphones on all the time. I'm like you, but with YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard for me to narrow it down to five, right. but here's my very long way of answering that question. Uh, pay, patron step on, uh, in the past, in the very beginning, my favorite podcasts were Astronomy Cast, which is uh, about astronomy. You've mentioned that and one. And it was one of the yeah. very first podcasts that was that sort of stuck out as a good one. Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. Uh, if any it's it's a non-historian jazzing up history <laughs> and and his and I get, get kind of his model of deep dives from him. Like whenever ah, whenever people whenever I'm like I just did an episode that was five hours long. People are like, that's insane. That's stupid. No one's going to listen to that. <laughs> and I'm like, one of my favorite podcasts Is regularly <laughs> has five plus hour episodes. Uh, Radio Lab, of course, it's a beloved right, right. Um, uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is a science podcast, and This American Life. In fact, I would probably say the two main podcasts I listened to were Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and This American Life. Those were just a huge part of my life mm-hmm. in the aughts and into the early He used teens. to talk about those a lot. Yeah. In fact, this podcast, Psychology in Seattle, was modeled after Skeptic's Guide in a lot of ways. If, right. I know some of you out there actually listen to that podcast, and so you might be able to see the parallels. It's not similar really at all, but there's some basic right. elements. That well, I think when we started, there might have been... More influences there too, but sort of. Yeah. But like, for example, I could have done the podcast on my own, but right. Skeptics Guide to the Universe is, uh, you know, more than one person. It, yeah. They have an expert at the center, and then around him is is people he knows. It's like right. his brothers and his friends, and and so uh, there was that. And um, anyway, so uh, now these episodes have we got these podcasts have become sort of boring to me in the last five years, which feels sacrilegious to me to say <laughs> you know i've been listening to this american life since like 2002 i think like i've listened uh-huh. to probably to every episode at least twice maybe three times wow sgu i've been listening to skeptics guide i've been listening to since 2005 again every episode um but it's kind of boring to me 
This American Life, Ira Glass is a god, but I think he is sort of taking his hands off the wheel a little mm. bit, and like maybe he's into other things. Like he, I see. Like, and I feel like he's This American Life. The episodes they're just it's the topics are interesting, but the okay. way they deliver it is boring to me. And Radiolab too, it's a similar kind of thing. It's like interesting. There were some early Radiolab episodes where I was just like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Uh-huh. And like right lately, I've just been like, "Ah." Astronomy cast also kind of got boring. Hardcore history, uh, still love it, but it it they, there's probably like two episodes a year that he oh, okay. makes. So it's like you can't really be into something that much <laughs> that's only two episodes a year, you know. So my current top five now is number one is TBTL, which is uh, too beautiful to live. I we were associated with Cairo radio yeah. which is a local radio station for a while they re- reached out to us and wanted us to be associated with them back this is years ago this is like eight i don't know years That's ago crazy yeah and i went to the we would record sometimes at the at the radio station right. and people there would reach out to us and they'd be like you know there's this podcast that's re- doing really well you should probably hook up with them and maybe uh, share notes or something. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we got introduced to the TBTL people. And I was like, well, I'll check out their podcast and see how it is. And I, I've been loving it ever since. It's just banter between two guys uh-huh. and it's easy listening. You know, I, I could like zone out for 10 minutes and, not, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter, you know, and it's daily Monday through Friday. Okay. So uh, it's just, it's a, they just talk about just dumb stuff and it's just fun to listen to. Um, number two is NPR pop culture happy hour. Oh, uh, it's not too heavy. They just, they review movies and music and the Oscars and TV shows. And they're, they're just really great. They're very concise. They're very knowledgeable. Uh, they keep it light. It doesn't Mm. get too heavy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, number three is heavyweight by Jonathan Goldstein. He's actually from this American life fame. It is one of the most precious things to me, uh, it's called heavyweight and it's just him. Jonathan Goldstein is this sort of, uh, extremely self-deprecating guy in the New York area and he meets people and they they just kind of go on this really interesting story. It's hard to explain, but every episode is about a different person okay. and it's maybe 45 minutes long and it's just, it's um, a real person, or yeah, a real okay. person. Like, like one episode was. Do you know Rob Corddry? Yeah, yeah. He's the actor. He was in um, like t- Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. He uh, so Jonathan Goldstein reaches out to him, and they're they're just talking, and uh, I can't remember the exact story, but he says that he broke his arm when he was a kid. Okay, and that but his family doesn't remember. They they claim. Not only do they not remember him breaking his arm when he, and this is like when he was like ten years old, oh. his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister, all of this family says, "I don't remember that," and you're lying. Oh, you've made that up. What? And so, so Jonathan Goldstein goes on this adventure to try to figure out who's right. Was it? Oh Rob, my gosh! Is, did Rob Corddry actually break his arm, or did he make up that memory? Uh-huh. Or, uh huh. Or. Or, you know, did who's, who's right. Mr. Everyone else. And why? And it's this fascinating, twisting story where he he gets like pictures. Don't spoiler it because now I want to watch it. 
but or listen to it but you know he has to like piece together different evidence he has uh-huh. to reach out to physicians and different different <laughs> witnesses that might have been there 35 years ago and that's crazy it's stuff like that he does another episode with moby that's kind of oh, okay. kind of like anyway uh number four is the slate culture gab fest it's similar to the pop culture happy hour but it's three extremely smart people. Okay. These three people on Slate Culture Gabfest are it's two women and a man and they are just brilliant people. They can talk about Whoa. anything in this super complicated, interesting way. It's a little heavier than the Pop Culture Happy Hour, but I like it. Um and number 5 is Reply All by Gimlet, uh, founded by Alex Bloomberg, also from This American Life. And they every episode they investigate interesting things having to do with the internet. Like, How have I not heard any of these? There's so many podcasts. So, uh, for example, <laughs> in one episode or like a series of episodes, so there's a team of different hosts. Yeah. And uh, one of the hosts hired a hacker to hack into this other, <laughs> this other host's email account. What? And to see how easy it would be sure. to hack in. And then, um, and then the hacker did. Okay. And then they brought in the guy who was hacked and they were like, so if I told you someone in the office had their email hacked, you know, what would you, who would you think it was? And they're like, well, obviously it's this other person because they're horrible with security. Um, and well, what if I said it was you? Oh, it's not me. I, I know everything I do. I do. I do all the things. Oh and they're like, God. well, actually it was you. And then they go down this whole thing about how you can avoid being hacked and yeah. how hackers actually do it. It's basically, they just use phishing emails That's crazy. to get your, to get your uh, password, but it's funny and it's interesting. They did this other one where they actually, uh, actually went to India to expose one of those call centers. That, oh, okay. That actually, you know, they actually went to India. Yeah. And talked wow. to the big wig, you know, yeah. and, and, and these are just like, regular uh, then self-admitted they'll say they're wimpy guys you know they they're worried for their life at, yeah. cer- at a certain point anyway you know i i, I don't know if i had talked about it but uh when they i don't know if they're still going on but remember when they were doing all the calls with the the irs uh has a warrant out for your arrest you know that whole thing yeah like you owe lots of money blah 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 okay so i i got one of those and i i never fell for these but i was kind of messing with the dude and I was like uh, well okay so what's your name you know and, and all these kinds of things when he started getting really mad at me he just started cursing me like fuck you fuck you right so they show that in this in this series of episodes where they go to India and because it's I think it's a few episodes but yeah. anyway yeah and, and I actually there's a YouTuber that I was obsessed with for a, a, a week or something and he's a he's on Twitch, I believe. And one of the things that he would do is he would uh, he would target these people, oh, okay. and, and he would change his voice, and uh-huh. and uh, he would try to keep him on the phone for as long as possible <laughs> to to waste their time, essentially. Right, right. And uh, and one of the things that almost all these people do once they're exposed is is they start to get real weirdly verbally abusive. Yeah. You know, it's it'd be one thing to be like. Okay, I, you caught me. Yeah. Uh, I'm in another country, right. so you know, good luck trying to do anything yeah, yeah, to me. Yeah. And they hang up. But that's not what they often right. do. What they do is they end yeah. up getting real, real nasty. Right. It's right. like, what's the point in that? Right. You know, like what? <laughs> what do you get out of that one? You know. Um, 
All right, top five songs of all time, Berto. All right, man. Okay, so, so this I mean, is. I think this is another. I think this might be another patron Stefan thing. I'm, I'm I mean, s- this is impossible. Let me just say from this from the get go, I can't well, do five. There's only like what seven songs in the world. <laughs> I mean, so you just have to pick five of there's those. Only twelve notes. You're right, uh, and only eleven of those really matter. Uh, okay, so I'm not. I, I mean, I can't do five. I'm going to mention. Uh, a few songs that I absolutely love. And not in a particular order. Starting with Scarborough Fair by, you know, uh, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. It is a dizzying, beautiful, like, weaving of their harmonies. And it is just so pretty and, and mesmerizing. I remember I was a kid. My aunt had given me this Simon and Garfunkel tape. And I loved all almost the whole tape. There's a couple songs that I wasn't super into, but that song in particular, I would just, I would just sit there and be like, oh my gosh. And at the time, I hadn't taken music theory yet or anything, so I didn't understand technically what they were doing, but it just sounded so mysterious and so beautiful, and oh, I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Um, another one is uh, Shelter from the Storm, Bob Dylan. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood, when blackness was a virtue and a road all full of mud. I come in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Is that one of his first songs? Uh, not first, no, but it, it was uh, in the kind of earlier period. Uh, the first time I ever heard this song, or I was consciously aware that I heard it, was at the end of Jerry Maguire, the movie. And you know the guy. What's the guy that makes all those movies? Um, uh, Cameron Crow. Cameron Crow picks like the best music. Yeah. And so when I hear that song, I'm like, "Oh my god, what is this?" And I had this period in the early 2000, in 1999, where I got into Bob Dylan, and I that's one of the artists that I listen to on rotation nonstop. And that song in particular, it's not my only favorite song of his, but that one in particular is just amazing. So wait, we're not in your top five yet? No, this is my top-ish. Five oh, okay. Ish. Yeah. Uh, another one is Ay Mujer. This song is by a, an artist named Juan Luis Guerra uh, from the Dominican Republic. And he is one of my favorite artists. Uh, when I was growing up in Colombia and I learned how to dance salsa and merengue, uh, it was his songs that I primarily learned to dance to and I loved. And this is one of his merengue pieces. It's It's got this beautiful like, Ay, mujer, tu cuerpo me hace falta ya. It's like this beautiful melody. Did you sing that in Bogota when we were at that guy's house? It wasn't one of the ones I sang, no. But yeah. it, 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 I don't think he knew merengues. I actually asked him. He didn't really have any merengues. But that this is one of my favorite songs. One that we did sing is by Silvio Rodriguez and it's called Ojalá. And you might remember it because it was the one that was like, uh, Ojalá que la muerte. Like, it, it was like this very like meaningful song and everyone was singing it out. Like, that was all night long. Yeah, fair enough. But anyways, this is a beautiful Silvio Rodriguez song. A Cuban dude. Really great. Um, Let It Be. I had to pick a Beatles song. And I decided to go with Let It Be because not only is it a fantastic song, uh, one of the purest piano and, and McCartney songs you could get. It's so simple. So simple, the key of C, right? Uh, like, like imagine, you know, simple, simple. But it was also the first song I ever learned to play oh. because my cousin Diego taught me on his organ and it was just amazing. So it's special significance. Yeah, I had a similar process as I was trying to narrow this down was 
well, I need some other factor right. to throw in there, especially with the Beatles. Right. It's like, you know, okay, so I started looking for things like that. Like, well, that was the first song that I blah, blah, blah. That's right. So here's my last few in the top five. <laughs> I promise it's just the last few. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, I had to, I had to have a Led Zeppelin song. See, this, you, I can't remember what you said. You, you had said that Led Zeppelin was one of your favorite bands. Yeah. And I'm so surprised by that because, one, you don't seem like a Led Zeppelin sort of guy. Oh, man. And, two, I've never heard you listen to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, okay. And so, I've never heard you talk about Led Zeppelin. This is fair. I can understand that because uh, you know me mostly as that 80s guy, you know? <laughs> like, well, maybe. I mean, I, I've, I've heard you talk about a lot of music, sure. but never Zepp. Okay. So the story there is, first of all, I got into rock, uh, heavier rock when I was in, in uh, junior high. And it actually got a little too heavy. Like on Sunday nights, I would listen to heavy metal and I would actually fall asleep listening to like this death metal stuff on the radio. But I got Led Zeppelin 4 when I moved up here. Yeah, it's a great album. And I listened to it all the time. And I just, like, I fell in love with it. Yeah, it was it's a, so good. All their, all their first five or six albums are all, every track is genius. Hey, mama. I mean, like, every song in that thing was so amazing. But Stairway, I had heard, that was the one song I had heard growing up on the radio. And I already loved it. Yeah, it's So when beautiful. I connected the two, that was like, oh my gosh, this band sounds amazing. <gasps> They're the ones that do Stairway to Heaven. It was amazing. So to me, Stairway, I have to include it. It's like one of the best songs ever. Uh, and the last couple of you. Well, let me ask you, when was the last time you popped in Led Zepp to listen oh, to? Oh, I listened to them on a, on, a, on a regular rotation. Really? Yes. You've never listened to Zepp when I was around. Fair enough. Fair enough. We've had parties where you're DJing, right. and that's true. Well, you, but that's not kind. Of, that's not the kind of music I throw at a late night. Why late eighties kind of party? It's a perfect song for a late night party. <laughs> it's, hey, mama, gonna be a oh my gosh, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Okay, uh, the biggest lie, Elliot Smith. Ah, this beautiful. song moves me in places. I'm waiting for a train. It's the last song. It's the last song on Elliot Smith. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Colors, Colors, Colors by uh, Donovan. But there are many versions of this song, and there's only one that is How's my that favorite. How's that one go? Uh, so, um, eventually of uncertainty, I want to be... Ah, da, 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 oh, but I may as well try to... Oh, wait. I got the wrong name. Sorry. Catch the Wind is what I meant. Sorry. Not Colors. Catch the Wind. Should I know this song? It's a Donovan song. I know, but... Uh, I... So, hold on. I, I, I messed it up. So, what happens is that Catch the Wind... Uh, there's a song called Catch the Wind by, by Donovan, but there are many different versions here. Listen to this. Well, ad. you can't you can't play it because I can't play it. Okay, fine. You're right. Yeah. So there are many different versions, and most of them I don't. They're not my favorite. But there's one specific version that is really slow, and it goes kind of like what I was the way I was singing it. Uh, but I may as well hmm. try again. To I had no idea you were the wind. A Donovan fan. And then the honorary mention. Can you guess? You've already had. Honorary. I know. I know. I know. Uh, honorary mention. A lonely boy. Yes. <laughs> Sing that. Oh, oh, I 
not a lonely boy. No, I mean, I had to put it in there because um, I had one more honorary mention. That's fine. I'm way out of slots. You can do that one more. Drama by Erasure. Oh, okay. Sing that one. One move for us, for you. The chorus. Another. Oh. Your shame is never ending. Just one psychological drama after another. You are guilty. This doesn't ring a, a bell? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're The, Asia, the reason I love this song so much is it starts super soft and, and it starts building and building and building till this dramatic chorus climax. So interesting. Well, we had some overlap. I'll and I have, and by the way, I, I cried trying to put this list together because the, the songs I am leaving off. Yeah. Ugh. Well, so I'll start with, I'll, well, I'll end with my honorable mention. So right. I, I'm actually going to, because I really wanted to sort of solidify this because uh, I just thought it was an interesting exercise. And I'm actually going to rank them. You didn't rank yours. You just threw yours in there. <sighs> But I, I'm going to actually rank mine. Number one is Yesterday by Paul. Okay. And I totally respect that. Uh, 1965. I've seen him sing it two or three times live, and yeah. I bawl every yep. single time. It is the perfect song. Perfect. You, I was going to pick Yesterday, but I... Yeah. yeah. It's beautifully sang and org- yeah. and arranged. You you get the sense that Paul just kind of threw this off, you know? and. Yep. And it's the lyrics are great, and it it has a a sort of foundational resonance that I think will just I assume will just span centuries. And we can't discount George Martin in this, no, because he orchestrated. Remember that violin line there? But Paul by himself, honestly, is ninety nine percent. I know, I know, I know. Um, so, oh, so you know, I had to go with a Beatles song, and there's so many. Hey Jude would be up there too. Yeah. But yesterday is is I don't know. I just I cannot disagree with that. Yeah. And when I hear it on my uh, Spotify playlist, I don't I don't switch it ever. It's never a skip ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, number two is South Central Rain by REM. Oh, so it's kind of a weird one. I don't even know that. One. But. There, so I don't listen to a lot of REM anymore. This is 1984, so this is like way before REM became like mainstream, you know. Yeah. And I, it reminds me of high school when very few people knew who REM was. And it's an it's an angry song, but sad. It's melodic, but rough. Sound Central Rain by REM. Some early REM songs just really get to me. Um, Past like 1988, like when stand in the place where you live, yeah, yeah. like that kind of stuff. Which is the only REM I ever knew. Right. I liked it back then, but when I listen to it now, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, we've talked about this. I still have to go back and listen to yeah. earlier. So South Central Rain, listen to that. Number three, and of course, I can't even believe you didn't mention this, but but Not Tonight by Depeche Mode. Oh! <laughs> this is why I can't do these lists. I mean, you didn't even mention Depeche Mode at all. No, no, no. no. I did think... Oh, so listen. Here's what happened. Let me explain. You bastard. I can't believe you had me do this. So, of course, I had Depeche Mode in my mind. But what happens is my favorite Depeche Mode album is Violator. And I was thinking, okay, well, I mean, those songs are amazing, but they can't... There's not there's not one track yeah, that really sticks right, out. Yeah. But not tonight. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. And that's my favorite Depeche Mode. No, out. you're right. You're right. I, I failed myself. <laughs> Black Celebration, nineteen eighty six. Reminds yeah. me of early high school. Yeah. It's 
maybe the album that sort of turned me into an alternative person, <laughs> you know, uh, pretty hardcore. Uh, I have to, I have to consider swapping a song for that one. Yeah. I mean, the Erasure song. Oh, okay, fine. I'll swap the Erasure song. Yeah. But I love that song. Okay. Yeah. Number four is uh, Siva by Smashing Pumpkins. This mm. is, I think, track one or two. Um, I think it might be track one on Gish 1991. Yeah. This is their first album. Reminds me of college. Uh, this this album, Smashing Pumpkins, their first album, uh, again, was extremely obscure at the time. Yeah. And the album, I didn't like it at first, but once it got under my skin, my God, it completely changed my life. <laughs> Obsessed. I'm, I'm 20 years old, and you know, for, for younger people today, it's hard to know. It's sort of like, for me, I don't really understand why people like Bob Dylan that much. Mm-hmm. Because... I heard so many derivatives of Bob Dylan. I see. If you lived during that time, then you're just like, oh my God, Bob Dylan is is awesome. But when I listen to him now, I'm just like, well, it doesn't really resonate. In the same way that if you listen to the first album of Smashing Pumpkins and you're like 25 years old right now, you're going to be like, yeah, you know, it's fine. But at the time, it was completely new. It was a completely new creation in the same way that Nirvana was a complete it was it sounded imagine listening to the first nirvana album <laughs> and feeling like this is a brand new music right. it's right. a brand new artistic creation and that's what uh the smashing pumpkins first album well, was i got to i got to say too one thing is the uh it's funny cuz there were a lot of bands like smashing pumpkins radiohead all the, that i didn't actually add here a, a very common theme through the ones i mentioned were singer songwriter and granted, this Billy Joel, why didn't I put, but, but like a lot of these were even more intimate singer songwriter, like guitar and, and voice kind of singer songwriter. And I guess in the end, those really, really touched my little funny bones. Hmm. Uh, number five, same album that you talked about, Kill Rock Stars is what they call it. It's the first Elliott Smith album, 1995, Needle in a Hay. So, yep. so I was going to choose. I was going to choose the song that you chose, "The Biggest Lie." The biggest lie, but to me, that's a beautiful, wonderful song. But to me, it's like on the Elliott Smith side, where it's a little silly. It's not not silly, but not as serious. I should say, you know, it's more upbeat, I guess. Whereas "Needle in the Hay" is uh, just that perfect Elliott Smith song, where it's like extremely sad. You know, yeah. Elliott Smith. Uh, allegedly killed himself was a very yeah. was a very bothered individual and I right, feel like right, right. Needle in the Hay really symbolizes that people always assume that it's because that song is about using needles and and heroin but at the time Elliot Smith actually hadn't used any hmm. heroin yet but he was fantasizing about it I read in his biography I, I, I mean I absolutely love that song and I actually the form of it where he's like gotta walk 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 Four more blocks plus the one in my brain. Like that whole thing. Yeah. Love it. The reason, the biggest lie for me was because it was the end of the album and every time that song would hit, it's that dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's very simple. I'm waiting for a train. Like, oh, it gets me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Say Yes is a similar song that I was almost going to choose. That's on a different album, mm-hmm. similar to the one you just. Um, okay, so that's my top five. But you know, I that gotta, was your top. Five. See, I couldn't pick five. That's crazy. So I, I gave some honorable mentions. A very hard honorable mention is what I might say number six, which is hard to explain by the Strokes. Oh yeah, this is their second album, two thousand three. 
Uh, every time I hear this song, it gets me going. Very simple chords. Uh, happy on the surface, sad underneath, which is a common theme to the songs that, that I like. And the my band, uh, we are called New York City Cops, which is a riff on one of the Stroke songs. We actually play this song and I love I love doing you it. You broke my heart last time you played because I was waiting for Reptilia. <laughs> and we didn't play it. That's my favorite Stroke song. <laughs> yeah. Well, we played it the next show that you, I guess, didn't come to. I couldn't come to that one, yeah. Um, so honorable mention are Lights by Journey. When the lights oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. go down. like I'm surprised that's it. That's the one. Huh. I remember that song when I was a kid because my, yeah. my family or my brother was a Journey fan. And so uh-huh. that got under my skin when I was like eight years old. Whoa. Uh, please, please, please by the Smiths. Oh. So please, please. And that, that's, that's, uh, that's my favorite Smith song for yeah. sure. And not the version on the album, but the version on the, on the uh, soundtrack. Um, the, I can't remember. Uh, the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Okay. Uh, Limelight by Rush. Da 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 dun. Oh, like that song again. I was nine years old when that album okay. came out, and I just love. Morning is broken by Cat Stevens. I was gonna add a, a Cat Stevens song. I debated putting the father and son one. What, what's the? Yeah. And the night to explain, but uh, ultimately, uh, man, I, I had to put I had to put these other ones. So when I was eight or nine years old, we played recorders you know those little yep. f- those little flute things and we played morning is broken at our school and that's when it, i got introduced to that song and i just it's such a beautiful song so i used to play morning has broken on the piano and i loved the the How? modulation that song is that's a hard song to play right and i would love them because i i learned it because i wanted to learn how he was mod modulating yeah it's a very interesting very much and so i i i love that um by the way, John Lennon. Yeah. Neither of us. Well, I had. I could only. I Jealous feel, guy. Well, I, you know, I love John Lennon's music, but if I chose <sighs> one of the solo, I know I would have chose Paul. Like maybe I'm amazed, for example. Uh, I no, I, I couldn't have done that. I, I mean, I struggled with this because how can you love the Beatles above all, but only have like one song on your top five? Right. It just seems wrong to have like <sighs> five songs of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, other honorable mention is Time to Pretend by MGMT. I almost put that one on. And in fact, you know what? It's so funny. I'm like, I actually think Kirk might put this one on his. Yeah, it, it was close. I, but it can't bump like right, R.E.M. or the right. Beatles. But uh, Time to Pretend, Birdo and so I good. really bonded oh, over this we really album. Did. Yeah. Um, Song for the Dumped by Ben Folds 5. Oh. I was a huge Ben Folds 5 fan. Oh, they're very talented. Yeah. Yeah. Tambourine by Prince. So I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to choose a Prince song, and Tambourine is on my favorite album. And it's whenever I hear that, it gets me mm. going. And Interpol, their song PDA. Oh yeah, or Evil. Actually, my my band we're starting to branch off into some Interpol and oh, I love Ar- Interpol, Arctic Monkeys, and I, I gotta tell you, man. I mean, the, the songs I left off are really, like, for example, Billy Joel is one of my favorite artists of all time. I didn't even include one. If I had, it probably would have been. Uh, she's got away, probably. But uh, Elton John, I didn't put Elton John in here. Oh my I God. probably would have put uh, uh, Mona Lisa's and Matt Hatter's or something. But but it's so hard to make a top five. It is. So other bands that I was contemplating about choosing a song from were the Cardigans, which is one uh-huh. of my favorite bands. Uh, the Police. 
I was gonna put a police song in there. Which uh, which police song would you have? A uh, message in a bottle, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. There's a number of police songs that are. Really I like great. the wrapped around your finger. Oh yeah, that's a great song. Um, yeah, absolutely. That might actually that one really. Dan, dan, like yeah. that got me when I was at my top forty best when right. I was like thirteen years old. But sorry, I will say though, potentially my favorite is Synchronicity too. Mm. Um. Queen, of course, there's probably five Queen songs. I can't believe I don't have a Queen song. I mean, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Somebody to love? Why isn't that in my list? And play the game. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel, as you identify, there's so many just excellent Simon and Garfunkel tracks. ELO. Which oh yeah, it's one of my favorite bands. Like, I I used to have this. I I back in the oh naps back in the Napster days, I had uh you know finally yeah. was able to like get all these like real ancient tracks by ELO and a bunch of other bands, and I made this one CD that was like my top twenty five ELO hits, and I would listen to that over and over and over again. I just realized I left off, and I see why because these were my favorite songs as a little two year old, three year old, but. Rocky Mountain High. Oh. And um, uh, Top of the World by the Carpenters. Oh. Were two of my favorite all time songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chicago. There's a lot of. Early- I know. I almost went there too. There's a lot of early songs by Chicago. Do you know I just, I just re lost a friend over Chicago? What? Uh, so you know this person that I have had fallouts with before? Yeah. Well, we just had another one. About Chicago, the band? Basically. I mean, that's the the surface level problem, yeah. What do you mean? I don't get it. I was sitting there hanging out. We had we had, we hung out starting like at 4.30 in the afternoon. And you're like, what time is it? And he's like, well, it's almost 4. I don't know. It could be 25 or 6, six to 4. To four. <laughs> so we started like 4.30. And by this time, it's midnight, okay? So we were together like eight hours, right? I'm sitting there. And then you were like... Stay the night, and he's and he's like, no, gross. <laughs> and so he's like, look, you're a hard habit to break. <laughs> no, what happened is we're we're both a little intoxicated, and he asked you what time it was, and you were like, does anybody really know? <laughs> does what- anyone really know? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's funny you should say that. So what happens is he says something about. We're watching this show, and he says something like, well, yeah, like when the Chicago lead singer would snort coke between each one of the songs or something. And I'm like, what? Peter Cetera did that? He's like, no, no, no. Like, this was before Peter. This was the original lead singer. And I'm like, wait, there was a lead singer before Peter Cetera? And he's like, yeah, dude. Like, this is... And well, then they, starts, had, they had three singers. Well, so this is where... He starts telling me, like... Yeah, they, they definitely did. There's this guy named, uh, whatever, Kath, who's the guitarist, amazing, crazy guitarist. And he was like the, the, the original singer. And then, you know, he killed himself. And, and he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm going like, get the hell out of here. But not, not believing him. I'm just kind of like, that's amazing. But at one point, I say, in typical Barrado fashion, like, ah, come on, man. There's like, Peter Cetera is Chicago. Like, everyone knows this. He's like, and then he says something like, most people would actually say, 
it was Kath. And I say, like, not most people. And then he sort of like changed, like, no, listen, people that are into early Chicago would really say, I'm like, yeah, I know, but you said most people. It's like, I know, I know, but that's not my, my point. I changed my point. And I'm like, I know, I'm just saying you said most people. And I'm saying I'm always, it's like, why are you being like this? And then he's like, I hate it when you be like this. I want to punch you when you're being like this. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous because you're getting this way too. Like, it goes both ways. And then he's like, ah, I can't even have this conversation. I was like, well, ditto. Like, I feel the same way. And I'm like, I don't even know why you're making such a big deal out of a Chicago conversation. Like, oh, so now you're minimizing it, but that's not what it's about. And I'm like, well, I know because you're getting like, and then at this point, at some point, and I'm probably shrinking it, but it wasn't more than 10 minutes, really. At one point, he's like, I think you should just go. Whoa. And I'm like, well, I guess I better. <laughs> and then I, that was it. I left. And but as you're walking out the door, did you say, <laughs> you are my inspiration? <laughs> you're the meaning of my life. Well, so I, we didn't communicate for like three days because both of us were mad. But I was mad about, so I was, I was like, okay, well, the thing I'm mad about is that he threatened to punch me and kicked me out. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm upset about. Right. <laughs> like that, no matter what, that's unacceptable. So I was thinking... All right. Secondarily, I actually did some research because I'm like, I don't really care, but I'm going to look at this. And I was like, okay, well, several of the facts were wrong anyways. Like, Peter Cetero was there from the beginning. Right. Even when it was Chicago Transit Station. He was one of the singers. And the earliest hit they had was him singing. Right. Uh, actually, that, sorry, the second earliest. Because the, well, do you know what it, time it is? But that wasn't Kath. That was the, the keyboardist right. singing. So, right. In the very beginning, it was three singers. Right. And Peter Cetera was kind of like a secondary because he—I don't think he wrote music. The other two he, guys, right? The other two guys were the main writers. So, so he wrote uh, a lot of the early hits, but not all of them. Okay, but and, the, the, but the the Gestalt in the yeah. very early albums yeah. was it was the three of them, but they right. weren't really very popular at the time. No. By the time they started to get popular, by like Chicago fifteen and and sixteen and. I think 17 is the last one that Cetera was on. Everyone considered Cetera to be the lead singer. Of course, but the other thing that I don't know why I didn't remember or realize, I probably remember, is he was a bassist. Yeah. And when you listen to the, those very early songs, including Do You Really Want Time? Yeah. That's an amazing bass playing. Yeah. So if you want to say that he wasn't part of the core sound because he wasn't the guitarist, sort of. The bass of Chicago is famous. Yeah. But the fight that you had with him has nothing to do with nothing the to do with facts this. it nothing has to do with the way that you nothing. two communicate. in fact i finally sent him a message uh three days later and i said uh i basically boil it down to like what's unacceptable is that you threatened to punch me and you kicked me out which has happened before right and he he came back initially with uh thanks for the advice wow then after some time, he wrote back this longer thing saying... Lyrics to a song? <laughs> no. But it was essentially saying, like, you don't even get it. Uh, you, like, the thing we were arguing, uh, you don't even understand because you didn't want to listen or learn anything, blah, blah. So he was still on the topic, wow. right? And so I replied and I said... Oh, and then he ended basically like, and, and don't worry, like, what happened will never happen again. But meaning, like, I'm never seeing you again, essentially. And I'm like... <laughs> All right, so I wrote one last thing, and I, I kind of at this point didn't care, so I said, well, that's pretty clear, and it's, it's clear that you and I have very, very different perspectives of what happened, so I guess that's it. So as an aside, 
here's the stuff that I didn't realize, you know, Pierce, da, 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 da. and then he wrote back one last time, which I was surprised about, but he was like, uh, you're still not getting it. That has nothing to do with the argument and you've missed all the points and I'm done with this. I have no time for you. And that was it. Wow. Sorry to hear that. I was very, I, for the two days, the three days leading up to me messaging him, this is almost all I could think about. Yeah. And I was very sad. I was sad that this happened again. I don't understand. He must, he must have so much pain inside because it comes out in these ways against one of the people that is closest to him. And he, in his mind, like, I'm, I'm sure if he was here, he was like, I, he'd say something like, I'm still not getting it. That I was annoying him, right? That I was frustrating him so much with the way I argue and debate. And I'm like, I'm sure you, you I did, right? But as you're pointing out, like, that, that's the surface level tension. How many times has this happened between the two of you? Well, so the first time we had the split was when many years ago, so in um, five uh, so like eight years ago or maybe seven years ago when uh, he was upset because someone uh, – I, I was inter- – I wasn't interviewing, but like essentially I had a, a job that I wanted him to get and um, he didn't get it. And the person that got it is this person he really dislikes and he was upset with me that I even – that I even considered that other person. But I wasn't the hiring manager. It's just uh, – so he was really upset at me and essentially didn't talk to me for a year. And I actually thought that we were never going to talk again. And he finally reached out to me and sort of apologized, but half apologized. So we started our relationship again. And uh, but then shortly after that, I was over at his house and I was um, I was telling him some stuff that I had done. And he felt that I was using him to just like assuage my conscience and sort of brag and, and whatever and so he, he we got into this back and forth where he was being i felt he was being very judgmental and sort of pointing fingers where he wasn't in a position to do but he felt that i was you know being using him essentially for for comfort or something and, and same thing happened we got into this long debate uh, this one was a very long debate actually and he eventually said like you gotta go and then i i left and then we didn't talk for like weeks or something I mean, to play devil's advocate, I have been on the receiving end of that argumentative, the rigid, political discussion we had. Yeah, yeah. And, and others where you're you've sort of tipped into another zone. You're not normal Umberto in those moments. Sure. Uh, I don't think that it justifies a complete cutoff of a relationship in the context right. of of everything that one would experience from you. But I can tell you from personal experience, you start you you start to attack like you go on the. Uh, I don't know if you did that with him. Well, yeah, I mean, in the attack as in, well, in my like, keep in mind, like, there's usually alcohol involved, right. and it's midnight after we've been hanging out for eight hours, totally. And I'm saying things like, "Come on, everyone loves Chicago with Peter Cetera. Well, that's so, not a thing, you again, know, whatever. Again, I don't know because yeah. I wasn't there, and the way you're describing right. it sounds totally innocent. But I wouldn't doubt that if you were here, he'd be like, "No, that's not." the vibe that you had like it was much more aggressive um now sure no uh, no and i, I i'm I admitting get, I, don't, I don't say i'm admitting it's aggressive I, and, and i'm saying things i'm sure i'm saying things like because i was saying things like uh uh you know like for example there was another famous argument we had uh, many years ago about whether or not soccer or basketball was more popular internationally with kids or something like that and 
I don't really think both either of us had hard facts, but we were arguing and I was not letting it go and stuff like that. But so in that moment, I said like, look, this isn't a, this isn't like soccer and basketball. This is just like everyone knows Peter Stare, like that kind of thing. Or I, I, I might have said, I did definitely was trying to point out like, no, you, you said, you said most people and I'm saying that's, and then he was trying to like be like, but that's not my point. You're missing my point. I right. can see that that's not the point. Well, but what, but what I'm going to say is, if you think I was being aggressive, yeah, like that's a mirror. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, clearly he is more reactive than you are, but I'm not saying. What, but what I am saying is, like, you probably did something. You know, normally when you're interacting with him in the ups and downs, things yeah. work out. But there's something when you turn a corner that I think really hurts him and makes him feel like he, you know, based on your descriptions and based on what you said his point was yeah. was that he feels like you're just completely discounting him right. in a, and not wanting to learn in that moment. Well, yeah, but also like discounting him, like sure. the, the personage of him, sure. the uh, you're discounting your relationship in a certain way. That's how it feels. Um, Cause I can tell you, I hate to say this is that's how it felt when you went on the af- attack with me is like, it feels like you're essentially like sacrificing the relationship or the friendship or the bond to make a point. That's what it feels like. And I'm guessing that's what he was reacting yeah, to. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. But the the thing is, and you as well are a bit of a mirror in that way and yeah. nowhere near to the extent, but he, what I was trying to – the points I was trying to make towards the end of that unfortunate argument were – I wasn't denying that I was get I, like I'm like look I'm, I've had many drinks and I'm sitting here watching some stupid show and we're and just a second ago I was saying <laughs> isn't it weird how everyone just sits there and like it could be naked but we're not like we're wearing clo- like that's the kind of mode yeah. we're in so of course I'm sure I was being extra annoying in this well, stupid debate about Chicago well clearly he's very sensitive to that kind of vibe. Sure. And, but the, and takes it very right. like, like for me and you, the political fight we got into five years ago or whatever within like, well, even like during, I was like, what is happening right now? And I kept trying to like stop the argument. And then at some point you pressed a button and then I got real upset. But as soon as you left, I was pretty much just like, what well, just happened? well, that was yeah. dumb, you know? And even if Berto was wrong, and I am hurt. Like it doesn't really matter. I'm. Sh- I trust that he cares. I trust that something happened for. I don't know what the hell happened for him, but something happened. And you know, let's just put it behind us. And you know, I was the one who reached out to you right yeah. afterwards. Well, and, and in that case, because the the thing, and you know, it's been a while, but I feel like what triggered me in that case is that this wasn't about you and me. This was about the way I felt about what was happening politically. And so I was arguing against everyone, right? Right, but yeah. you were attacking me. Sure, like you had a well because I felt that I felt that you were being so so far away from what I would have imagined your positions would have been. Right, that I was like, this makes no sense to me. Which is fine, yeah. but you literally were verbally attacking me, like you, 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 that kind of thing. Sure. You weren't saying, and I was, I, I was just like, because I wasn't interested in changing your mind sure, at sure. the time. I was just sort of like. 
I don't, well, in fact, at a certain point I was like, this is getting awkward. Like, let's just end the conversation. And you didn't like that either. You were just like, no, we're going to continue talking about this. But so the difference there is I, had we drank that day? No. So it it was right. We had just finished a podcast podcasting. So I was sober. Yeah. Okay. And this was politics, politics, sorry. So the, the difference in this case is, uh, A, I'm not sober, right? But I'm not saying that that excuses me here. What I'm actually trying to say is, this wasn't a serious thing for me. Right. I'm just saying that even if you were like 10% that yeah. or whatever, he's a thousand percent more sensitive sure, to that. Sure, And clearly, you know, because for someone to hold on to a grudge for right. so many days, even a year, yeah, yeah. like the amount of sensitivity you have to have to such a thing but it has to be yeah. so severe sure. um and correct me if i'm wrong but you're one of his only friends aren't you no he's he's got friends but i'm certainly one of his closest friends right so you're one of his closest yeah. friends and so he can't afford to lose you is the thing you yeah. know so so he must be so uh sensitive which you know is is fine yeah. that it really distorts his like even when he's calm you, you know weeks later he still perceives it as having much more weight than yeah. than I would in a situation like that. Yeah, and I, I guess there's also a misjudgment in this sense about, like I said, like it is a very different thing from where, you know, to me, something like, like politics or specific kinds of pol- political arguments directly affect me and my future and my relationships and everything, right? This is a this is a situation where I'm listening to him and I'm like I'm actually wow I didn't know that Hendrix thought he was the best guitar wow that's crazy but I, but I'm saying it like in a way where it's like get out that's impossible like this kind yeah, of thing, right? I've seen you do that yeah again and I assume that as the tit for tat went back and forth eventually you know given your yeah. lack of uh, restraint. He, you started to get a little bit more pointed. Just and, in I, your... and I thought I was being playful with it, right? Like, like basically, like, but come on, we all know Peter Cetera. Like, if, if honestly, if, if he had in that moment, or someone had been like, "Hey, FYI, uh, you're about to trigger a volcano, right? Do you, why don't you just drop it?" But it's hard. I would have been like, "Oh, I don't give a shit about this argument. Fine, right. I don't care." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, when you're very sensitive. Yeah. Given past traumas sure. that have nothing to do with you, it's going to be hard to admit that, and it's going to be hard to uh, recover from yeah. that. Um, so, well, what really surprised me was that three days later—not that he hadn't reached out—but that three days later, because <clears throat> I made it a point not to reply. I, I said nothing about Chicago or Peter Cetera in my first reply. I just said, you know, blah blah, blah and I real—I I said something like, "This is familiar and unfortunate." I, and I really don't like that you threatened to punch me and kick me out, right? Because the thing is, I didn't want to be like, hey, I'm sorry if I be... Because to me, the most important bit in this equation was, you kicked me out after threatening to punch me. Like, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. So you have a balls in your court. Now, if you, if you want to talk about it and then we want to have a conversation and you want me to apologize about something, explain to me what I was doing that was hurtful. Totally. But I have a first topic to... T- and instead of him like addressing that, I mean, he side glanced at like, yeah, you know, at the at the fourth level deep of this thing, sure, maybe I overreacted, but that's not the problem. The pro- so I'm like, okay, but then you're not, you, you say I'm not listening. You're not listening to me. Like I've never, I've never kicked someone out of my house because we were having a debate. 
right? Like I've never threatened to punch them because we were having a debate uh, with a friend anyways, you know, like, so for that to happen, either I really was like so out of line, like then tell me, tell me what it is. Right. But it's not like it came back with things I didn't remember. Like, don't you remember when you no, no, it was. Well, yeah, I, I think that if he were here, he would have a nuance to this. Uh, it, but given his issues, I'm guessing that it makes it hard for him to communicate. You know, when you were, when you have issues in that direction, one, you're very sensitive to interactions like that. And two, you were also sensitive to admitting your vulnerability. Like, you know, what you're looking for is for him to be like, um, well, I don't know what happened. Something happened where I was triggered and I got very emotional and I'm sorry for threatening you and I'm sorry for kicking you out. Um, but you did something that just got to me and I, you know, I had an emotional reaction. I still don't think your tact was very polite or very friend- right. friendly. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, it was... It, it, it's just been really hard on me the past few days or something. And, and I right. still am angry at you and I still actually kind of blame you for the whole thing. But I know that that's probably not, you know, that's what you're looking for. But correct me if I'm wrong. No. And I, I, I mean, I actually, my hypothesis is that he still hasn't f- really forgiven me for the time that he was upset for a year. Yeah. And that that's always bubbling back up. Oh, not always. When these things happen, it bubbles back up. Right. Because honestly, if if he if he told me like, listen, when we get into debates, you get into a mode that feels like you're attacking me and, and hurting me or whatever. And we had a conversation about it. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Let's let's actually work through that. Um, but but in a five minute, because you know, you and I with that pol- politics thing. How long were we talking for? Like an hour or something? No. That was like five minutes long. The what? The politics conversation yeah. at my condo? Yeah. Yeah, that was maybe 10 minutes. Okay. It was very short. Okay. Yeah, because we, we had just finished podcasting okay. in my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. And then we came out into the kitchen, and I actually was just kind of like tired and just, okay. I thought you would just leave, you know, because it was late at night. And then you kept talking about the politics thing, and I was just kind of like, uh, I mean, it definitely wasn't an hour. Okay, okay, There's okay. no way it was okay. that long. Well, never mind that. I was going to say that, like, I have been, I have been in in debates that last a long time, and I don't want to end them. And I can understand that's got to be super frustrating for the other person. I understand that. Um, this was not one of those cases. This was like, you know, eight hours of fun followed by like, like. Five minutes of him telling me crazy facts about Chicago I didn't know, followed by like two minutes of me saying things that upset him, and and then me saying okay, and then you know, and then me saying like okay, I'm I'm leaving, right? Yeah, I'm really um, I'm really sorry that that yeah. happened. I mean, it, it's unfortunate and it must feel I don't know bad on some level because it's like, well, I thought we were just having fun. And yeah. I didn't even know that something negative was happening in the moment. And to be kicked out of your friend's house, you know, to be seen in that light, right? Like yeah. to have a, a close friend of yours just be like, I think you should get out and yeah. I never want to talk to you again right. because of what you did. Right. 
is um, you know a very hurtful f- experience. Yeah, and and you know, I, and I I searched myself the next day. I thought, well, okay, is this a pattern? Like, is is it maybe it's me, right? Maybe this is a pattern. So I thought, okay, what are the times that I have been asked to leave or or kicked beca- kicked out of a thing because like I was not dropping it or I was being too abrasive and things like that. And it certainly happened to me. You know, like there was the time I, I think I mentioned where I was having dinner with this couple and we I got into a debate with the gal and she was essentially minimizing my the sexual abuse I had had over the one she had had. And I was debating her on it and then it got really tense and then they, they said maybe we should be done here and then it was at a dinner so I left, you know. Okay. I think, yeah, that's that I stand by that. <laughs> Were you drinking then too? Yeah, but not I wasn't drunk. It was just I, I stand by the fact that I would defend I would def, I don't think it's right to say, Well, my abuse is worse than yours. I just don't think that's right. So I would have I would have done the same thing if I had to do it again. Yeah. Um with you and the politics, like I wish I could have filmed it, so I don't know exactly what happened, but I do know that like Whatever I felt politically, I would stand by, but I clearly wouldn't stand behind if I made you feel bad or if I was attacking you personally, right? Um, the time with the, the you know, so I, I think of these. But then that's it. Like, you know, Ron, Mitch, Eric, all these other people. Like, I've had so many drunk and long times, late nights, all these kinds of things. And it's like, yeah, no, we've yeah, had arguments. Not, yeah, it's not a common. We've had things. Yeah. But this is the only person where it's been a recurring. I mean, I can think of one other of my friends that has had these episodes where he attacks me and cuts me off. And but that's a different thing. It's a, it is a different thing. Because with him, you don't really get into those long right, debates. Right. With. But anyway, so I was like, I don't know. I'm, I, so I, I wasn't like discounting the fact that I literally or that I genuinely did something that frustrated him, annoyed him, hurt him. But I, but I was like, okay, but I'm not constantly getting kicked out from people's houses and threatened with physical violence over conversations. So I think this is crossing a line for him, and I need to let him know that. And that's, that's kind of the math I did. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry it happened. Sucks. Uh, sucks to have a friend be distant or, you know, potentially never see them again. Yep. Um, it also, again, hurts to just be from someone that you respect and like think so badly of you. You know, I'm just trying to think of a time when I have ever done that to a friend. And I I can think of one friend that I um, essentially kicked out of my house. And that was years and years ago. And what they did was egregious, (laughs) like deceptive Machiavellian, uh, really gross and harmful. And when I found out about it, I was just like, "Wow!" I was like, "I, you have to get out of my house." Is that house. who I think it is? Um, I don't know. Okay. Um, you were there. Yeah, I, I, I probably. Think I, know, I think I know. What yeah, I told you about it yeah. at the time. Um, wow. And in, in fact, I I think I even talked with Ron about it at the time, if if I remember yeah. right. But anyway, um. So I got it because I'm a completist. I just want to finish my list of other bands. So I said Chicago, yep. which triggered the trigger. Triggered, triggered, triggered the trigger. Uh, Band of Horses. I love Band of Horses. Tears for Fears. U2. Early U2. Early Tears for Fears. 
Stevie Wonder, early Stevie Wonder, not super early, but like there's a sweet spot of 1969 to 1972 of Stevie, mm. Stevie Wonder that is just, there's like four albums in there that are just some of the best albums of all time. Uh, the Knack. Yeah, I know you love The Knack. Their, their first album. People always know My Sharona, but if you listen to that whole album, it's it's a rock gem. Right. Well, I, so I never understood it when you told me The Knack at first, because I really only knew My Sharona. And I'm like, yeah, that's a fine song. Then I listened to the album. And then even after, then when I did that, I also, when I re-listened to My Sharona, I'm like, oh, I not only do I totally get why you like him, but I saw so much influence in your music from them. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of these albums are from when I was 9 or 10 years old. So The Knack, uh, Rush, ELO, Simon and Garfunkel, um, you know, uh, The Beatles, obviously. These bands I was, I was listening to when I was 10 years old. Uh, uh, the Muppet movie soundtrack, for example. Right. These, these albums just got into my head. I, I would sit buy the stereo with the headphones on um, the long curly Q black uh, yeah, wire. Yeah. And I would listen to albums like for hours. I would just sit there in the dark at the age of nine years old, you know, <laughs> and just listen to music. And, and um, I, I only had what was on the record shelf, you know? Right. And, oh yeah. There's no like, you know, Apple music or, right. or uh, and it Spotify. Just, <laughs> and it just so happens that like my brother had, journey and the knack and you know rush or actually my friend had rush he had acdc he also had the beatles um other band the other two bands are devo i was super into early devo in the mid 80s and hall and oats yeah uh, all again all mid 80s stuff you know later hall and oats not so much of a fan but you know you're a rich girl oh, yeah. and you're gone too far cause but you know it don't, don't matter, matter anyway. anyway i mean just i almost added um uh, men at work song oh. in there. Yeah. So my favorite men at work album is, uh, is, um, Oh God, frick, but overkill. That's the one I almost added. I almost added overkill. In there. That's a beautiful, beautiful. That's song. the name of the album. Um, okay. Cause, cause I, that, I only know their greatest hits, you know, like, Oh, meaning I never had cargo. albums. The name of the album okay. is Cargo. I never had their albums. I just know their greatest hits. But Overkill is my favorite song. My dad and I both love that album, Cargo. And when I go home to my parents' house, he'll pop that CD in. <laughs> That's awesome. So for me, um, things like I can't get to sleep, like that reminds me of Friday night late drawing or doing something creative with my dad like late into the night because we Bogota? had like yeah we you had listen the, to men of arc in bogota yeah yeah i had taped it off of the radio or he had or something yeah your dad would have taped it off the radio well it's funny at some point my dad was really into music and then he stopped being into music so when he was big into music he had taped songs off of the radio so i had a few tapes that he had made huh. that had all these awesome songs from the 80s right and then after a while, I started doing it. But he kind of lost all interest in music. He used to be huge into classical music and everything. And oh, my God. We're both going to freak out. The Cure. No, we don't freak out because I absolutely considered putting Love Song or I actually, you know what I loved, loved, loved was the um, Lullaby. So that was later Cure that I wasn't so into. Okay. 
Um, uh, I, I love the early to mid, again, just the early to mid eighties cure. I loved, so I loved like the forest, you know, all those yeah. things. Well, no, I mean, I loved all of it, but the, the reason I loved lullaby and actually I loved mixed up like that, that, that album. Oh, because I hated that album. You did. Cause oh. it was like, it was like hip hop beats and, and stuff. Uh, interesting. Well, what I, what I liked about it was, uh, they blended melodies together from all their different instruments and each melody was distinct in, in and of itself. And so you could play each melody and be like, wow, that's catchy. And then play the other melody. Wow, that's catchy. And play the other one. And then you'd play them together. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. So I, I, one of the first things I did I, when I, I bought a Yamaha PS500 keyboard and it's the ones that you could program and, and save the songs and stuff like that with multiple parts. And I started learning some of the cure songs and recreating them in the keyboard so i did like close to you and i i think i was doing lullaby and stuff and and i loved it because it was also like a way to learn like how do you write these kinds of songs so you're like and remember like they had all these little dun, 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 and then they had the other song like dun 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 right yeah. and then it was just like they chose just the right little sounds and the the yeah it's such an it's such an great. innovative song and it's really not like any other Cure song right it's so sparse but so so perfect I waited hours for this I, it's just so great yeah but yeah you're right it's kind of a, a big omission sadly <laughs> yeah so anyway well well this this episode got real personal Berto yeah un- unexpectedly what did we start with like <laughs> uh, random I- IVF yeah uh, Michael Jackson wow it's all over the place why people lie Jesse Smollett uh, yeah we really run the gamut here um, so if you're still with us out there um, sorry for subjecting you to so much random banter uh, but, you know, if you're still with us, I assume that you don't hate it that much. Well, that does it for that rambly episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself and ramble with your friends because you deserve it.